0: underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer budget-friendly flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment the plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals so for whatever tomorrow brings united healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you learn more at uh1.com it's may 5th
1: 1921
2: And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Ariel, Rebecca and Ali. The Retrospectors. A woman who doesn't wear perfume has no future, Coco Chanel once famously said. But I think even she couldn't have predicted the incredible longevity of the scent that her company released on this day in 1921, that still over a century later is said to shift one bottle every 30 seconds. Chanel number five.
1: I found a description of what it smells like that was written curiously by two writers. The first of them, Julia Birchill, described number five as the scent of rich mothers and like a woman (laughs) wearing fur. And then Susan Irvine, a perfume writer, added, Yes, and underneath she is wearing lace panties, hand sewn by nuns. Tells you a lot
2: about Arian, doesn't it, Rebecca? That he he searched for journalists describing the scent rather than just heading out to uh, John Lewis.
0: That's digital journalism for you, Ollie. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you know what? The last thing that Chloe Couch would have wanted people to associate with number five was the idea that you smart like a rich mother. I mean, mm. her vision was very much for a woman like herself. I mean, she was in her 30s by this point, so she wasn't necessarily the bright young thing that she had been in sort of the Edwardian era, but she was aiming at what was called the new woman. You know, she was racy, she was glad glamorous, she was sporty, she was self-possessed. And so that's what she was looking for. She was obviously already famous as a fashion designer, but her then boyfriend, she had lots of boyfriends, this was mm. part of being the new woman, uh, was Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich Romanov who was one of the killers of Rasputin. What was this? Oh, wow. I don't know if that's a red flag or not. I need to look into that bit of history <laughs> more, I guess. I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, and he introduced her to the former perfumier of the Russian royal family, who was called Ernest Beau. And so she commissioned him to come up with this perfume for her
2: yes and that is worth underlining and putting in bold i think chanel number five wasn't created by coco chanel it was created by ernest beau as a commission for coco chanel Uh, it's worth mentioning because she did actually create a lot of the things that made her name she did create personally the little black dress the quilted Mm. handbag the slingback shoe and yet Quite possibly, you know, if you zoom out another hundred years, I suspect the thing Chanel will still be making in whatever corporate form they take in a century's time will still be Chanel Number 5. And all she did was choose it. Mm. She just chose it from some samples that he made.
0: You're going yeah. to be gutted when I tell you that Britney Spears didn't personally come up with her fragrance either. <laughs> Previously, heavy, musky perfumes were associated with what was called the demi-monde, you know, prostitutes, actresses, like all the sort of sexy, salacious characters that a respectable woman <laughs> might not want to be associated with. And what prostitutes was and actresses. Prostitutes and actresses. <laughs> I, I, I'm always yeah. sure, I'm, I, sometimes I feel like I'm too good at putting myself in the mindset of the times. So I, I, I hope the distinction is clear between how I feel about sex workers and actors (laughs) in 2022 Um, but you know a respectable woman of the time would only have worn stuff that was basically just floral waters you know like rose water the idea that you would have anything synthetic in that scent was uh, would have been associated with being a bit vulgar and a bit cheap and it wasn't until the late 1800s that these chemical innovations led to the creation of artificial aroma compounds actually smell quite good and smell quite delicate Mm. so you had these more complex scents that were coming out the first one was Zhiki by Guerlain that was released in 1889 and it's the oldest perfume that's still sold you can Mm. still buy it today that was the first one to mix natural scents with synthetics and that made it the first ever abstract perfume so like obviously if you had rose water or you know a jasmine scent that would be the the only note. But the Zhiki had a mix. It's almost hard to conceive now, isn't it? Because we're just so used to perfumes. Mm. But it was the first one that didn't have a single major note. It was a, a blend of, of different scents.
2: Aldehydes, that's the innovation here. But mm. the
0: aldehydes were actually a bit of a mistake as well. Because so the legend goes, Bo's assistant mistakenly put what he thought was a 10% dilution of aldehydes into the formula. But it was actually 100% pure f- so it had 10 times as much as it was supposed to. But that's what gave it this kind of fizz that's almost reminiscent, you know, if you're creatively minded, almost reminiscent of champagne popping. And it also has a sort of soapy scent. And that was something Mm. that was important to her. She was really attached to, like, clean smells. Her mother had Mm. been a laundry woman. And then she was actually, because her family were really poor, she was raised in a convent where you had nuns and everything was scrubbed fresh. So those kind of clean, soapy scents were really, really important to her as well. So when she smelt it, she felt like, you know, It was almost meant to be.
2: It's so complex though, isn't it? Her relationship with soap. Because also, (laughs) like you've said, she had many, many partners and many of those partners had many female partners. And there's also this thing of like, other women's smell, like musky B.O. being on her partner's bedsheets and yes. her really not finding that much of a turn on. And so she said that she wanted the smell of freshness. I should mean, she didn't put it as bluntly as I've just put it, but, you know, <laughs> she wanted the smell of freshness essentially because of promiscuity. The fact that you have those two things going on in the same smell. I want the smell of fresh laundry as a child from a convent and the thing that reminds me of
1: having sex with multiple partners in Parisian bedrooms. It's quite an
2: interesting combination for a smell, isn't it?
1: (laughs) The other thing that was fascinating about the product itself was the shape of the bottle, which was really quite simple in terms of the prevailing design trend of the day where they had these really ornate bottles often designed by Lalique and famous glass houses. But she wanted a bottle that looked... Well, there's various sorts of uh, legends concerned with this as well, but on one account at least there was an idea that she wanted a bottle that looked like the whiskey bottle of her former lover, the guy that she loved, uh, and so she had this sort of relatively sophisticated but simple version of that created. She didn't want something to be all frilly, it wanted the bottle to be quite simple and then allowed the scent to speak for itself. And that's often interpreted as... Oh, a lot of male
2: perfumiers in the past designing scents for women had misunderstood that women would want something feminine-looking when actually they'd be perfectly happy with something that looked quite masculine like this. Mm. But I'm not sure that's quite the correct interpretation because when you think about it, all of the bottles basically would have been bought by men or at least mostly with the, the money of the male partners, of the women who went into the store. So actually, it kind of weirdly makes sense even for that not to be true. The the women who wanted the scent like the scent But the men who were buying it for them Were attracted to the bottle because it was masculine
0: Yeah but I also think by this point These ornate bottles were maybe being associated More with sort of like middle aged wealthy women who had them as something you know to have on display whereas what Chanel was doing tapped more into this new woman idea you know the flappers who were considered shocking because their outfits were perceived as masculine this idea of sort of simplicity and naturalness and obviously that playing then into being more sexually adventurous as well so there was something there was something feminine about it but it was a different kind of femininity
2: and also it was expensive she was the perfect age to be the face of this brand herself wasn't she Mm. the Mm. elegance the sexual freedom but also kind of like you know she lived at the Ritz at this point in her life she was photographed in Harper's Bazaar Essentially, advertising this fragrance and you can see that that would have been very attractive for her target consumer for this
1: who would have been in their 40s or 50s there's this ongoing ownership dispute that went on throughout her life where it's really hard to tell who's the goody and who's the no, baddie, because not. it looks like it's it, not well, it's not well i would Ariane. say baddie too okay well we'll get to that <laughs> i mean but, collaborating but, with the nazis is definitely borderline <laughs> But. No. Okay. Well, it, well. The reason why it's it's easy to be at least sympathetic with her at the beginning of the tale is because <laughs> it looks as though, perfume Chanel was initiated and she was really cut out of it by a bunch of men and these male investors then allowed her only a very minuscule percentage of the profits and yes as it went along then she becomes the baddie for sure <laughs> because come uh, World War Two and the uh, Nazi seizure of uh, France then she appealed to the occupying power to basically take control of Parfums Chanel out of the hands of the uh, Jewish owners who were the the Wertheimers and give them back to her.
0: Yeah, I mean, she made a pretty bad business deal. This happened in 1924. So she didn't have control of number five for very long. But essentially, she was offered the opportunity to have Pierre and Paul Wertheimer, who were the directors of Bourgeois. They said they would take over the business because it had become really popular. And obviously, Chanel was a fashion designer. She didn't necessarily have a setup to internationally distribute this. So they took over everything pretty much, the manufacture, the distribution, marketing, and in return for 70% control of the firm. She then, it was pretty... um, I think we can safely say a pretty low blow to write to the occupied French government and say, hey, I've heard that Jews aren't supposed to be owning any companies, and I just wanted to let you know that I think there might be some (laughs) owning (laughs) Chanel perfumes.
2: Although they had cunningly preempted this, fled to America, and uh, put the ownership in the hands of a Parisian Gentile, so... That didn't work.
1: But then after the war, the Wertheimers didn't want to badmouth Chanel because she is still the face and the name yeah. on the brand. And it's the Colonel Sanders issue. It here, was
0: total it? Colonel Sanders. She like went around <laughs> telling everyone they weren't <laughs> using. It smells
1: th- like horse. Th- yes, she said. <laughs> she
0: did the exact same thing. She went around telling people like, oh, they're not using the same ingredients anymore. Like, it's not my, did it's she? not my number five. It was total Colonel Sanders. And the same thing, like they couldn't bite back without harming mm. the brand.
1: So they did eventually reach a settlement that meant that she was guaranteed a projected $25 a year. But there was one additional uh, stipulation that I thought was particularly fascinating, which was that Pierre Wertheimer agreed to pay all of Chanel's living expenses, from the very small to the very large, for the rest of her life. Wow. Bearing in mind (laughs) she does live in the Ritz, as I said. Right. (laughs) Tomorrow.
0: Imagine for a moment a giddy, ridiculous tower dominating Paris like a gigantic black smokestack.
2: Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.